I'm Jane Wilcox, and you're listening to Shakrisiology, Girls Talking Church. Tell your girls a story, I won't tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on. I'm here today with a she team. Besides myself, Shaklesiology is Kim Hu, Jennifer Johnson, Chris Ann Swartley. We're going to start out the episode talking about seasons when it comes to vocation. Kathleen Kahalen offered the idea that instead of thinking of vocation in terms of discovering what my lifelong vocation is, she introduces the idea that perhaps we experience vocation through different seasons of our life. In her book, Calling All Years Good, she goes through the periods of our lifespan and how we might reflect on and discern the transitions of vocation in between those seasons. One of the things that she says about vocation, just a short quote, she says, vocation, we contend, is inherently narrative. Its first language is story. So I thought we'd start there and just reflect together on how much we either feel as though our experience of vocation relates or aligns with, with what she's suggesting, or maybe it doesn't. And I encourage us as a team just to, to be willing to share our stories with our listeners. So if I can start, I really deeply identified with this idea of vocation through different seasons in life. And so th- I did this exercise. I started to reflect on my life and the seasons. So I, I came to faith when I was a teenager in the latter part of being a teenager, about a year before I went to college, to Messiah College, which is now Messiah University. And that was so incredibly formational for me, those, those four years. It's where I met my husband, but we, would, we had a group of friends. We would literally sit at dinner in the dining hall for like two or three hours, just wrestling through different ideas of faith. And so for a new Christian, I mean, that was, yeah, that was foundational. I went to Messiah because I was gonna be a veterinarian because I actually thought veterinarians were rich. And then a professor suggested in one of the gen ed classes that maybe it's not a good life goal for Christians to strive to be rich. Little did I know that veterinarians aren't rich anyway, but it did kind of change what was driving me during that that period. I graduate and so I have this transition between uh, being a teen and going into my 20s. And so in my 20s, I actually did veterinary medicine for about a decade. I wasn't a veterinarian, but worked in small practice, specialty practice. I even worked at Merck the last stint of that. It was also, for me, the first time ever being involved with a church and being a part of that community and deeply understanding what that meant in terms of my own faith. That was my 20s. And then there's the transition between that season and my 30s. And I can't help it, but it actually aligns with, with like the decades of my life. So whatever that means and whatever sense of humor God has. But so in my 30s, I was mommying, I was in seminary, and I started pastoring a church. And so those were my ministry years. And then into my 40s, I transitioned again, doing doctoral work and starting, actually I'd already started doing some university teaching, but that became my more or less full-time gig besides doing doctoral work. I am in my fifth decade now, and I think why this topic hits me so much is because I am, again, discerning this season. 
So what does that mean? Cahalan would say that it's the transition periods in the middle of seasons that is the time for us to discern, is this an ending? And in those transitions between seasons, as we're discerning vocation, the question is, is this of God? And so in my fifth decade, as I am discerning, is there an ending? And is there another beginning in the process? Again, I think that's partly why I'm so connected to what she has to say, because it makes so much sense of my life. The next question that she would suggest is then, what does that mean in my understanding of vocation, if we think of it in terms of a lifetime of discerning the seasons of how God is calling us? I'm going to bounce it back to you all. Does this idea of discerning vocation through life seasons resonate? And perhaps you'd even share how you might have experienced understanding vocation. And I also realize that we are different ages and different seasons and different stages of life, which I think is even more interesting that we're having this conversation together. And then also, in what way then, or how does this long view perspective of seasons impact our understanding of vocation as God the caller and us the one being called? So what do you ladies think? Well, I am really excited to be talking about this topic because I feel like it's one of the, I feel like struggling with this idea is one of the themes of my life. So maybe struggling with this idea is my vocation because I cannot point to a through line. I cannot point to a clear sense of calling at any stage Mm. of my life. I feel like I have pinballed from one thing to the next based on what doors others have opened for me because Mm -hmm. I was young and stupid and did not, did not take charge of my own life Mm -hmm. in the way that I should have or could have. And I think still, even now, as I'm in my mid forties, I I have a job. I have life circumstances. They're not unpleasant, but I would not say that they are necessarily representative of the type of thing that Mm. we talked about when we explored this topic in our readings and, and everything to prepare for this. I would not say that my life circumstances are representative of my life's purpose in relationship to God's purposes. Mm. Or that yeah, I am proactively and intentionally partnering with God in the restoring and reconciliation of all things. Yeah. I don't think I'm working against that. Hopefully mm-hmm. I'm, you know, <laughs> leaving things a little better than I found them. But there has never been, a, for me, there has never been a sense of, of vocation. And I think to partly answer that last part of your question, Jane, I think we do do our young people a great disservice. And I think we do this, especially in the evangelical world where we... Mm-hmm talk about vocation and career as one and the same. And we talk about Mm. it only when you're trying to choose a major or decide on a job. And so we, I mean, I remember hugely struggling with this in my early twenties and feeling like that I had missed the boat in some way, or that I was not a good enough Mm. Jesus follower because I wasn't hearing anything. And I remember pleading with God, actually praying and saying, you know, that I will do whatever. I would love nothing more than to have a sense of vocation in my life. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. at the midpoint of my life, I'm losing faith. So here's that. How's that for a Debbie Downer response? But, but I think, I think it, it also is kind of liberating in the sense that I do not base my identity on my work because I never felt like it was the be all end all of who I was. Yeah. Right. If I can just jump in, in case my description in any way sounded like I easily transition only in retrospect 
in the last two years as a 50 something woman thinking, Jane, why can't you do something for longer than a decade? What is your problem? Only in retrospect, in reflection, there was an unknowing in every season. My only discernment is, is something ending and is something beginning as I reflect back on it happening four times? And I'm like, huh, maybe there's something with God in it. So, so I don't want to give any impression that I had any clue what was going on. I was like, I guess I'm having babies now. I'm a home. Why don't I go to seminary? He's like, why would you go to seminary? Read a book. I just, I just want to go to seminary. I'm sitting here with kids. Why don't I go to seminary? I mean, I mean that Christine could, she could talk about my transition from thirties into my forties of leaving pastoring. That was a holy mess. And I was like hanging on for dear life because it was clear that something's ending and something's beginning. So I don't want to give any impression. Well, I hear you, you know, the, the authors talked about that it is a narrative, it is a story. And something mm-hmm. also the authors that we read talked about many times you make meaning out of your vocation in mm-hmm. hindsight by yes. looking backward. Yeah. I just haven't gotten to the point yet where looking backward makes it make sense yet. Yes. Yes, I very much resonate with that idea of vocation through life seasons. From a very young age, I felt drawn to church ministry, but that has taken so many different forms throughout my life from, from teen to young adult to what's after young adult, full adult to mid adult. Um, (laughs) It's taken so many different forms. And, and yet I can see that thread of like, I think my vocation has something to do with helping people through, through joy, through pain, through question, through doubt, through Mm -hmm. certainty helping them connect with God, like whether it's youth ministry or teaching Sunday school or preaching or leading worship or, or mothering. I mean, there was a season there where I was, you know, stay at home mom when the kids were little. And I still like what I wanted to do was talk to them about, you know, when you said your bedtime prayers, you know, what did you feel the presence of God? What do you think about faith? Mm. What do you think about Jesus being with you? So yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that. As the person on the team with the fewest amount of decades under my life belt, I really deeply appreciate this idea of seasons mm-hmm. um, because I think even though I might have the fewest decades, I, I think I could see more seasons. And looking back on my life or just even in this past decade since I, I just turned 30 recently, so I, only, I don't have much to review But looking back on it, I think I did have seasons. And I think one thing I can see in this idea of seasons is looking back when I made those transitions, I think there were times in the transitions where I'm like, is this my fault? Is like God moving Mm -hmm. me out of something because I did a bad job or because I failed or because I was inadequate. And he's like, ah, like it's it's like, like knowing that I wasn't benched for it. Yeah. You know, like God didn't put me on the bench. Like God really was moving me to something yeah. else. And so in that, I'm immensely thankful that it wasn't about a job evaluation. Mm. Um, I really think I appreciate Jane, the way you set up your decades and just looking at, you know, like college is time of learning, but I spent a lot of time learning postgraduate as a, as a missionary intern in Southeast Asia. I'm like, oh, I didn't do a whole lot. And I struggle with that so much how I'm like, I have no idea what I did. Like, you're really not helpful 
on the field as a fresh graduate, you have mm-hmm. very few skills. And I struggled with that for an entire year. I'm like, why would anyone allow a 22 year old to mm. go to the field? Like you were more likely to mess things up for people <laughs> than be helpful. But I see that that was a, an immensely great season for me to learn. Mm. And that's mm. what I needed in that season was to learn. And I needed an entire world perspective that greatly altered, I think the course of like my next decade of life. I think thinking about like the threads, there's like that great weaving illustration that there are the through threads that yeah, guide us, yeah. which yeah. I loved. And I realized that when I was making the transition from being a speech therapist into full-time church ministry, there were times in my closet of an office, I was like writing down, what is it about work or the work that mm-hmm. I want to do that really makes me come alive? And how I can see that I find that in speech therapy, how I love communication. I love communicating ideas. I love helping people. And I'm like, oh, to to make that transition to full-time ministry doesn't seem as far-fetched anymore Mm. if those things are also aligned with things I know that I like and that I'm good at. And so that was helpful for me to see. I think this idea of also changing with the seasons is immensely freeing. Mm -hmm. It's really, really free because I think I look at my own resume. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. It feels like sometimes if you look at your resume, like, oh, it feels like a dead end. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to travel this path until I see Jesus face to face. And I have to make (laughs) peace with that, which isn't true. It's it's not true. If we subscribe to the idea of of seasons and vocation, my last, my last thought about it is I, I had a friend challenge me once to stop asking people, what do you do for a living when mm-hmm. you meet them at like happy hour or, or church potlucks to stop asking that question. And the idea of seasons, I think enforces that. It makes the idea of asking people what they do for a living kind of a stupid question, not stupid, maybe shallow, a shallow question. If we really subscribe to it, like, shouldn't we be asking people like slightly more interesting questions about themselves? <laughs> I think it's the language, the language of people, right? So maybe not necessarily what you do for a living, but what's your work? And then my next question is always, do you enjoy what you do? And so if they say, my work sucks, that's telling me something. But if they say, you know, I really enjoy that. And they start telling you what they do. That says a whole lot about who they are as a person, their passion, their interest. So I, I guess I don't necessarily ask them what, and I think you were, you were taking issue with what do you do for a living as if okay, this is how I'm going to live the rest of my life versus what is your work sort of thing. Right. Like what do you do for a paycheck? Like that's not a very interesting right, question. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think it also doubles down on the idea that who we are matters a lot more. And I think mm. that is not a bad idea to communicate to other people. I think it also communicates this idea of like worth in a person and seeing a person beyond those layers and to be known beyond the layer of work and whatever's on your, in your email signature, your business card or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting through line of communication for Christians in whatever sphere that you're in. Like Jane, like you said, to have those deeper conversations, to get at the more center of who a person is and why they do mm-hmm. or enjoy what they do or don't. I think that's just a, it's just a richer way of having a conversation about yeah, people absolutely. in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It just reminded me of an example in our school district. There's a vocational high school and the students progress through that. So you go there as a ninth grader, you stay until you're in 12th grade. Your first year, you spend two weeks stints in each vocation or area of study. So 
baking. Everyone has to have a two-week stint in baking, in cosmetology, first responders. And this is your entire freshman year in high school. And then by your sophomore year, you're beginning to hone in on three or four areas that you want to focus on. We're sending kids off to college for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we are not giving them an opportunity to discern the many choices they have out there. Like, why do we not do that for, for college-bound students? I, I, I feel that so deeply because I grew up in a home in which it was expected we would go to college. We didn't have to. We just, what my parents always said was, you don't have to go to college, but you have to have a plan. Like you mm-hmm. can't just, you know, couch surf or whatever. But I always got great grades. I was like little bookish reader. Like it was just, there was, it never entered my mind not to go to college. So I did that. I got the bachelor's degree. I did the white collar office job thing. I eventually went on and got a master's degree. I've spent my whole career in that world. And it wasn't until the last few years Mm. that I realized I probably would have been much happier and you guys are going to laugh. So that's fine. Bring it on. I think I would have been much happier to be a carpenter. Hmm, I, I support. Dis- fantastic. I have discovered, well, it is and it isn't because yes. I'm here we are and I'm not a carpenter, but not yet, I realized, you're not. not yet. I'm not. That's um, right. Right. That's right. Bring it yeah. on. So I realized that just in the last year, I've discovered this love for refinishing furniture. Like I yes. want to spend all day, every day out in my garage sanding things and stripping paint off of things and staining things. And it's like my happy place. And I can feel my blood pressure going way down. (laughs) Now I'm sure if I did something like that, 40 hours a week, or if I had gone into some other trajectory, it has its own stresses. I'm not trying to romanticize it, Yeah, but I do think that it connects. I'm a really strong thinker. I prefer doing I'm so grateful to have discovered that I enjoy that at this stage in my life because I still hopefully have many years ahead to enjoy it. But I do think, I wish I could go back and tell 17 year old me, yeah, you don't have to go to college. You're not a loser. You're not a failure. And, but, and it's nobody's fault, but nobody, yeah. least yeah. of all me had any idea that that could be yeah. interesting to me. So I didn't pursue mm. it. You know, yeah. I liked books. Yeah. So I majored in English. But I do yep. think that we can find threads of who we are and and hints to our vocation in the things that bring us joy like that. And mm-hmm. I don't think that nothing that I read in preparation for this conversation hinted that your vocation should be soul crushing and joyless. And just to clarify, mine is not, that's not my yeah. career experience right now. But I think that because we've tied our sense of purpose in life to our job, right it's just really difficult to separate those things out and maybe makes it harder to find that narrative thread. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it. Someone told me after my first ministry job, which I resigned from and felt like a complete failure and wondered if I had completely misunderstood who I was. Someone said, whatever ministry God is calling you to, it, it isn't necessarily paid and you can do a job to support your family or yourself. And then your fulfillment is found in that calling or ministry, which might be, you know, volunteering somewhere or even not that formal, but just like 
relationships with your neighbors or watching your neighbor's children or yeah. So I, I feel fortunate that I was told that fairly early in life that your vocation, what, whatever God is calling you to is not necessarily for a paycheck. Yes. Okay. So I'm doing something a little different on this episode. I'm going to introduce a practice that we can um, offer for our listeners. So here's my suggestion set aside some journaling time, whether you're a journaler or not, just grab some paper and a pencil or even on the computer and prayerfully think through the seasons of your life. And it's not necessarily by decades. It just so happens how it made sense in my mind for me. So think through those seasons of your life and how in each season, God might have been inviting you into a partnership. And I'm going to use the language of James Fowler, partnership with God in God's work in the world. The most important part here, and it's not necessarily a time to discern, am I doing God's work or not? But where have you seen seasons of transition where something is ending and something is beginning? And again, we we see that in retrospect more than we can discern it in, in real time. I will put a, a link and some notes in the show notes in terms of unpacking these areas and ideas of uh, what does it mean to be about God's work in the world? That comes from James Fowler. Kathleen Cahalan also addresses this idea of, she doesn't use the language of partnering, but doing doing God's work in the world in terms of redeeming, governing, creating. Again, I'll put it in the show notes for you. So you might do that and then post in the Shecclesiology Listening Community Facebook page some of your reflections. The second part of this episode is discerning vocation and community. I know it is important to identify how much women in particular look to the community for an affirmation of their calling, especially in ministry calling. And if they don't get that affirmation for a variety of reasons, and sometimes it's as simple as because they're a woman and it doesn't necessarily jive with the beliefs of those that are leading them or in the particular faith community that they are a part of. When that happens, I call it vocationally disruptive, particularly as we talk about seasons And I think on some level, if we start to talk about our story, it's it's psychologically wounding when we're not affirmed in those callings. I think this is a fundamentally overlooked truth when it comes to young men who are by and large supported, groomed, mentored without question by leaders in their faith community. And that can be simple as, as a high schooler invited to preach as a young man. I think it's a little bit more rare, and I I don't have statistic numbers, but it's much more rare for women to be identified in that way and begin mentoring them in their ministry vocation and what that might look like. So Cahalan says, callings are discerned through relationships. They evolve over time. They are multiple and changing. They are dependent on the emergent capacities of the body Love that, by the way, for women. They are dependent on the emergent capacities of the body. And last but not least, they are mutually influencing and responsive to others. Question, what role did community play in discerning and affirming your vocations in various seasons? And you might even mention, give a shout out to those people that acknowledge your gifts, your calling, and maybe even gave you opportunities. Maybe they shared their pulpit with you or they shared their influence in some way. Maybe they mentored you, whatever that might look like. So who are they? And 
if you have one particular memorable time of that community influence, do share that. As I was thinking about this question, it reminded me, Jane, what you were saying about the vocational disruption and even the psychological wounding that can happen. I actually was blessed to be identified early as a leader in my teens. I was given a chance to lead in various ways. Mm. But what was really frustrating and wounding for me was the mixed messages. We see leadership gifts in her. We see writing and speaking and music and all of these things that she can do. And so we'll give her opportunities, but she can only go so far. And like I was told pretty clearly when I had stepped over the line. (laughs) And then even, even as a young adult and given the opportunity to be a youth pastor, even in that context, I was told in different ways in different times, I was a youth director, not a youth pastor. So I could lead and being told that I would be given opportunities to preach, but they were very rare and even told that I should get my MDiv if I really wanted to move on. Meanwhile, I was looking around at my male colleagues who were my age or younger, and they were given many opportunities. But I was told that if I wanted to be validated, I would have to make that investment, which I wanted to. I want I wanted to get my MD. The mixed messages were very frustrating, hurtful, painful. And I didn't quite know in my 20s and even in my 30s, didn't quite know how to process that. Yeah. It took me many years. I did feel like a failure after my first ministry experience, and then the mixed messages that were coming at me from my broader faith community. And actually working with you, Jane, was one of the biggest blessings. And to be able to work with a lead pastor who was a female and who was familiar with the struggles that I was facing as a female really being called to ministry, I knew that you knew what it felt like. (laughs) And Mm. I talk about it very honestly. And to have, yeah, to have opportunities then again, to grow and to relearn and to come to terms with some of my pain and failure and experience that grace and it's community. It can be the greatest blessing and the greatest wounder. I feel like at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like when I look back on the opportunities that I was afforded, it really felt, I felt like people were like, just kind of taking a risk. And it was the people, to me, I like, that's really risky to do that. One, because you don't know whether or not I will do a good job. And I think something that is, I've always thought about is, you know, when someone gives you, makes space where they have the power and authority to do so, that is a way of endorsing someone and and standing beside them saying, I believe in that person. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a really big risk to take on someone who is young or like untested even in things like leading a bible study i remember getting the opportunity to lead one i'm like you have no idea how badly that went i still think about (laughs) it sometimes one day i will do bible study through john four but until then it wasn't very good i'm like wow that was a risk but it's because i had voiced i i want to lead and teach and, and get into scripture and get my hands messy in that way and that was immediately the opportunity I was given. And I was like really thankful for that. Mm. Or even in smaller settings to give seminars. I'm like really thankful for some of the, the pastors who they were like my, my pastor and now my coworker. 
give me those opportunities and to respond to it and not make me feel like I was given the opportunity because it was convenient or because it was just a helpful way to fill time or so someone else didn't have to do the work. And to like affirm that later and say like, wow, that was, that was something. I think about opportunities that were given to me. And I think about being invited to be a part of this podcast, because for me at the time, I didn't know where my voice would go as it pertained to my ministry. And this was a very, very random opportunity to literally use my voice because we don't do a video portion of this podcast. It's literally just the words. <laughs> Jen is like, praise God. <laughs> it's generally, you know, just the words coming out of our mouths being edited. I'm like, oh, this is an opportunity. This is a platform. This was a, mm-hmm. a vote of confidence that there is something worthwhile to be discussed here with this extraordinary team. And so I I think about that being part of community to affirm means our community sees, but also takes risks on us Mm -hmm. and maybe not like a risk, like, Ooh, I have something to lose, but Hey, like, let's just see what happens and go for it together. I'm going to 100% own that 100%. I spent six weeks with you or whatever. She was going to cut me out. And she drugged me along for like months. Maybe it wasn't months, but (laughs) It was a while. And I had no backup. There's another, another Kim out there anywhere. So yes, I thank you. I'll take that one. I saw it. I called it. I named it. And I invited it. See? Community. It's happening. You had to let me say it. <laughs> it's with the episode. It does. does. It does. So hey, we'd like to push out the same question to our listeners. What role did community play in discerning and affirming your vocations in various seasons? And you might even give a mention, give a shout out to those that acknowledge your gifts and your calling, those that gave you opportunities. Maybe they shared their pulpit with you or they shared their influence in some way. We will send a Shaklesiology Anti-Donut t-shirt to the first 10 listeners that post their story on our Facebook listener community page. You can also post a response on the Shaklesiology Instagram account. We'd love to hear your vocation story and the community that came around you and acknowledged your giftedness and affirmed your calling.